Welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm concept developer, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich. We are breaking up How Story Works into four seasons following four topics, character, conflict, structure, and magic. This is season two, Conflict. Today, we're examining the conflict in the 2018 movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And if it needs fixing, we'll use narrative theory to fix it. Story is power, and we don't leave power on the table. So let's get to work. All right. So, Kelly Jones, here we are with this movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And um, we'll just pull back the curtain here a little bit. We don't have a whole lot for notes. No. Because it's... One of the when a movie is really really good, sometimes it makes it harder to talk about. So we're just going to talk about it off the cuff. That yes. is the plan. So we're going to see how that works, uh, you know, for this for this episode. But um, so uh, let's talk a little about how how we discovered. Can you ever forgive me? Yeah, yeah. Well, I discovered it because your brilliant daughter told me to watch it, and yes. I'm so glad that that was the case because this movie is fantastic. It is really good. She told me to watch it, too. I have a vague memory of when it came out, because anything with Melissa McCarthy, I usually track. Like, if I, Mm -hmm. you know, see something that's starring her or whatever, I'll usually, like, watch the trailer or whatever, just because I enjoy Melissa McCarthy tremendously. Um, And so I remember when it came out, but it kind of flitted past, and I never really paid that much attention. You know, come quarantine, we're having regular, you know, movie nights, and uh, and my my oldest daughter uh, chose it for movie night and we watched it and had a great time and then we were visiting with you you guys watched it um and uh and the thing is i've seen it like four or five times now Mm -hmm. um and i still find it so interesting and like this last time i went and bought the audiobook about lee israel which is the main character that um, melissa mccarthy plays in this um i'm just fascinated by the whole story because it's based on a true story yeah. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. I had not heard of it. Um, but mm-hmm. there were there were so many kind of little happy connections in here. I mean, just in addition to it being such a good movie. Yeah. Um, so it was released on November 2nd, 2018. Uh, it was directed by Mariel Heller, who starred as Alma Wheatley in The Queen's Gambit, which we also <gasps> talked about. No way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Uh, with a screenplay by Nicole Holofcener and Jeff Witte. Um, mm-hmm. And it is based on the confessional memoir by Lee Israel, which was published in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really fun kind of looking at a based on a true story right. biography mm-hmm. drama, you know, through this through this lens. Um, and of course, we get Melissa McCarthy in the performance that I have been waiting for her. Like not... Yeah cast in any kind of chubby funny character role like she fucking brings it to Mm -hmm. this um and it's Mm -hmm. so good but i was so enthralled with this movie which i mean i'll just say up front i should hate this character i should hate lee israel and Mm -hmm. everything she stands for the the crimes that she commits are against the the things you i hope crimes against libraries Yes. Goodness. Yeah. Yes. She stole from libraries. She created historical documents that found their way into <laughs> official biographies. She caused citation chaos. Like that is a <gasps> special kind of evil. 
Oh um, my God, yeah. And yet I am, I, I find myself rooting for her mm-hmm. um, all of this time. And so I just thought it was really interesting. So Lee Israel was born in 1939, and she died in 2014. She started working as a freelance writer in the 60s, and her specialty was biography. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she wrote uh, Catherine Hepburn's biography, um, and then mm-hmm. she was hired to write Estee Lauder's biography. Well, Estee Lauder did not want that written because it was like an unauthorized, you know, tell-all mm-hmm. kind of book. And I think Lee Israel was on contract for like $15,000. Well, Estee Lauder con- contacted her and offered her 60000 not to write the book. And at the time, Lee Israel was like, I signed a contract. I'm a rule follower. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And so she wrote the book. Well, Estee Lauder went and wrote her own memoir and had it mm-hmm. set up to be published at the same time. <laughs> so Lee Israel's book completely bombed. And oh through God. no fault of her own, she became like a pariah. In the mm-hmm. literary world, in the publishing world. Um, and so, you know, her work had fallen out of fashion. She couldn't get another project. Um, she was struggling to make ends meet. And so she started stealing and forging letters from famous mm-hmm. writers um, and celebrities, including Dorothy Parker. And that was the the letter that inspired the the title of this work. Um, yeah. So I, I should absolutely detest her. Like in every, every way possible. She was banned yeah. from libraries. Like for mm-hmm. real, and <laughs> and yet, so I'm just I'm so fascinated that I'm like, what is it? What about is it about this character this? that makes you love her? Yeah, yes. I think we're gonna we're gonna be talking about conflict because, of course, this is the season for conflict. But we should also be talking a bit about character yeah. and how is it that you're in love with this character who does all of these things that go against who you are as a human. Like that yes. is so close to your heart, proper citations and, you know, accurate research, putting lies into a sacred research space like libraries. I mean, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. It's terrible. You know? um, yeah. So I did, I just, just wanted to mention for anyone who has not seen this, uh, this movie won a ton of awards. It was a national board review top top film of 2018 it was nominated for the academy awards the golden globes the british academy film award it won the writers guild of america award for best adapted screenplay um and jane Curtin, who is marjorie in this yes. movie was also in godmothered that we talked about last yes. week and she mm-hmm. narrated the audiobook version of can you ever forgive me uh by lee israel so yeah. i just thought all of these mm-hmm. little connections are super super fun yes yeah, it's really, really nice. Um, yeah, so it's a really, really fun movie. And it absolutely, I think, deserved the uh, the award for Best Adapted Screenplay because when you're working with real life, like, right, one of the big things about fiction, as I've said a million times, is fiction is not answerable to reality, right? So when mm-hmm. you are trying to build a story in a fictional framework that is based on reality, you have to sort of pick and choose your elements. And we're going to talk about some of the things that are differences between uh, the reality of what happened and then what ended up in the screenplay. But the person who did that and made that adaptation, um, you, you have to live to the spirit of the story, if not the letter, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so that's yeah. that's also a real serious challenge. All right, so let's go ahead and start our conversation about Can You Ever Forgive Me by talking about the conflict. Okay. Um, and you and I have different ideas on yes, this. So I want to, I love having this discussion and kind of sorting out, uh, you know, like making our arguments for this. Um, but okay, let's go ahead and start with who's the protagonist? Lee. 
I mean, clearly it's Lee, right? So we both agree yes. on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do they want? I think she wants to be a successful writer. Mm-hmm. In the in the simplest form, she wants to be a successful yes. writer. Okay. Um, and who is the antagonist? Okay, so this is where we disagree. Um, yes. I think this is a Lee versus society. Movie. All right, give, give me your argument. Okay, so... She has, I mean, there's definitely inner conflicts in the movie. Mm-hmm. But to me, the main story, what pushes her is the fact that she is not able to successfully function as a writer in mm-hmm. society as we know it. So the, you know, the book deal that she had just finished was blown up through no fault of her own. She can't get another contract. Her agent does not have time for her. She doesn't fit into the society where she's you know mingling like we I love one of the first things we hear her say so she's she's at like she had gotten like a terrible office job um doing it looked like some kind of technical copy editing or legal Mm -hmm. copy editing and two young people walk by her desk and one of them says if I'm still doing this at her at her age kill me and Lee mutters if you ask nicely I'll kill you now and that's like the first (laughs) thing we hear out of her mouth You know, um, we immediately see her get fired for eating and drinking and cussing at her desk. We see her steal a coat from her agent's party. You know, like just just immediately we see her pushing back against every structure Mm -hmm. and and societal expectation that she comes across. Mm -hmm. And she's incredibly smart. She's incredibly creative. Even all the ways that she, you know, she does these terrible things. She does them. With ingenuity, you know, she figures mm-hmm. out which typewriter. She has all these different typewriters that are named the people whose letters she's faking. And she she puts her skills to use in this way, but she doesn't fit in. You know, her agent basically tells her, if you want another book contract, become a nicer person. Mm-hmm. And she's like, fuck you. I'm going to figure this out <laughs> myself. You know, um, so I just see it. If if she had not been in the position where she could not get another book contract, she never would have done these crimes. And mm-hmm. I don't think she's inter- internally conflicted about breaking the law. I don't think she's <laughs> internally conflicted. You know, she says flat out, I was a better Dorothy Parker than Dorothy Parker. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but I think she does have a lot of internal conflicts that are very valid. But the main one that I see is Lee versus the world. I like that. I think you've got a very good... First of all, here's the thing. Now, I love that you made your argument. You said, this is what I think. I love that you went through and pulled out. In my class, you would have gotten a gold star. Because I always tell my students that when you're doing this analysis, you've got to go into the text and pull out things that support your argument. And you did a really great job with that. So gold star. Gold star for Kelly. Um, So here is my argument, though. So I think that it is an internal conflict with Lee, who both wants to hide and to be seen, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. She goes in to see her um, her editor, and her editor says, write in your own voice. You know, that's yeah. the one thing she says, right? And I believe Lee's response is like, oh, fuck you, or something like that, something along those lines, right? Um, and she's scared of that. She's been writing in other people's voices about their lives and about their experiences, that that is what she does. And mm-hmm. her own voice isn't something that she is familiar with. Um, and she's in this constant sense of conflict between that. So 
when we get to the point where, I mean, she's motivated by, you know, like I need to, um, and, and one of the things too that I love so much is that she doesn't care about, like she's behind on her rent. There's all that kind of stuff. It's when her cat is sick. Yeah. That's when she's like, I absolutely have to do something. So I love the fact that this woman who has so much difficulty with humans and with people has such a deep and abiding love for that cat, you know, that that's what's behind that motivation. Um, And the cat, too, is like the only living thing that she actually allows to see her, you Mm -hmm. know, and to be like part of that, um, part of the real existence with her. Um, So she goes through, we get to this point where she has to start writing these letters and she finds a way to do that. And I think that she is taking the voice of other people she's still hiding behind other people's voices but she is also kind of being seen people are appreciating how wonderful these letters are and how good her work is you know Mm -hmm. um and so as she goes through more and more she's writing these letters and writing these letters but i think she wants to be seen more you know um so in the end she's not sorry for what she's done but she um she goes in and she says it was the best time, you know, I was the best time of my life yeah. because it was the moment that she was being seen. Um, she has the conversation with her ex-girlfriend, right, where she realizes that her narrative is completely off. And I love Anna DeVere Smith oh, God, in that yes. moment where she's, she's like, no. And she just sets her straight on all of these things and is like, no, that is not actually what happened. Like your idea of what reality is is not actually what reality is. And she kind of has to adjust. Um, she's completely unable to um, to bond with Jack. I mean, to a certain degree, she is. But then like she shuts it down and throws him out and gets really mad at him. Of course, he's you know had a horrible violation because he, you know, had a drug filled party at her house and killed her cat, um, yeah. you know. But like that's she she can't talk to somebody and be like, your actions hurt me. It's just get out and I don't ever want to see you again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So her ability to actually have that vulnerability with people um, to show herself and have herself be rejected, um, I think is something that she really struggles with. And then we get to the end. And the thing is, this is what is convinced, what convinced me that this is, um, is how this, uh, this story works because at the end, like how a story ends is, how you know what it's about right Mm -hmm. and it ends with her deciding to write her story in her voice and finally be seen and then she invites jack back in and then that is when we have the climax of the story one side of her finally wins and it's the side that allows herself to actually be seen and allows herself to write because if she can write in the voice if she can write wonderfully in the voice of dorothy parker why can't she write wonderfully in the voice of Lee Israel? And then that's what she does. And she writes the memoir on which this, you know, story is actually based and what has allowed her to be even more seen, you know, mm-hmm. in having a, a story made of her life. Of course, she was gone by the time that that happened. Yeah. Um, but her memoir ended up, you know, like, was it wasn't her memoir? Was it a bestseller? Yeah. Yeah, it was very I mean, it, it was a really very well. lucrative project for her. Yeah, it sold really well. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because listening to you, I completely I'm like, yes, I can absolutely see that. And I think all of those conflicts are real. Mm-hmm. The same scene spoke to me about Lee yeah. versus the world. Because it ends yeah. what I what I love in the movie is that she asked Jack's blessing before mm-hmm. she wrote the book. 
Yeah. Because she told him, I want to write about us. And he, mm-hmm. he gives his blessing. You know, granted that yeah. she makes him 29 and gorgeous with a mouthful of very <laughs> right. white teeth, which I thought was so mm-hmm. cute. Um, but she does ask him first. And right. so, mm-hmm. but to me, that was a shift from, I am literally, like, I am operating without care for other people's words. Yeah. Because I am outside of this, this world, mm-hmm. this system, this, this culture, to I am now going to ask permission before mm-hmm. I tell someone else's story with mine. And then we yeah. see her back in her apartment and she looks a little brighter. She looks mm-hmm. like maybe she's been sleeping yeah. better or drinking a little less. She has the new kitten. She's on a computer instead of a typewriter. Like it looks like she has adapted to the world around her mm-hmm. in a little bit healthier way as she yeah. starts to then write this memoir. Um, but as someone who is a very reluctant memoirist, I feel this in my bones mm-hmm. when her agent is like, you need to, you know, you need to write your own story. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, she says, you need to become famous and then you can be an asshole. Mm-hmm. And Lee is right. like, how am I ever going to get? Fa-? So she does. Like, mm-hmm. she goes and becomes this literary thief, yeah. you know, this forger. So that she then has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting because in the movie, she is so much more rounded as a person than mm-hmm. even in her own memoir. There is yeah. very little personal information about Lee in her own story. It is only oh. about these letters and these crimes and how she did it. Um, mm-hmm. She is She is very protective of her own privacy there is the, the love interests yep are not in that book the the um you know the that final interest. yeah mm-hmm. it the relationship with jack is very different it is very much the sensational name dropping process sharing here's how mm-hmm. i broke this law um and what i what i really appreciated was so Carl Burrell was the lead FBI investigator on the case mm-hmm. and he described her as brilliant and this was yeah. in a, a New York Times article um and and she has been lauded for her incredible research skills but one of the things that she she did she wanted the forgeries to look authentic mm-hmm. but she also wanted to improve the writing so when she said, I was a better Dorothy Parker than Dorothy Parker, yeah. like she really wanted to make the writing of those, like she wanted to improve mm-hmm. the content <laughs> yeah. of those letters, even mm-hmm. though, you know, they were completely fake. Um, but she forged, altered, or stole more than 400 letters. Um, she's one of the most successful forgers in literary history. Mm-hmm. But for that whole year and a half, with all of that stuff that she was doing, she made less than $40,000. While living in New York City. Yeah, while yeah. living in New York City. Um, but yeah. then, you know, then her memoir did become a bestseller. But that conversation with her agent, who is like, you need to do something interesting enough to, to become famous. Mm-hmm. And Lee's like, all right, bitch, watch this. Hold my beer. <laughs> I'm about, <laughs> you know, but she like, accidentally came across it. Like it was, it yep. was inspiration at the at the right moment that she found this letter. Yep. Or she sold her own letter from Catherine yep. Hepburn. You mm-hmm. know, um, which I think is really great. All right. Um. So I think maybe the next thing we should talk about because I don't know about you, 
I don't have anything. Do you have anything to fix? Oh God, no! I wouldn't change. I don't a think second I have anything to fix in this movie. No, which is very, very rare. Yeah, you There's know, nothing everything I would in this movie works. Everything yep. in this movie works. And here's the thing: that's the rule. If it works, you know, then don't worry about it. Right? Mm-hmm. Leave it be. Right? If, if if it breaks the rules, it doesn't matter. And I don't know necessarily that it does because I think we've got a pretty well structured story along the lines of. And it's interesting because I think both of these conflicts are definitely at play. Yes. I think it's just deciding which one is the central narrative conflict, which yes. one is the one that this is actually structured on. Yeah. And I think it's internal, and you think it's uh, external versus society. But I either do. way, it really super super works, and it's a yeah. great great story. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about character because, mm-hmm. you know, we did season one of How Story Works about character. We talked a lot about vulnerability. We talked a lot about it, the strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities that, that, that make up um, a really, really good character. And I think that the character of Lee Israel, which is going to be slightly different in the movie from like the real person yeah. of Lee Israel, but the character of Lee Israel as presented in this movie, I think has this wonderful combination of you know, real vulnerability mm-hmm. um, and and just like also like admirable qualities because she's so incredibly smart and she's oh, really, yeah. really tough, you know, and that as a combination along with these weaknesses, which is that she can't, you know, interact with people. She's not a nice person, you know, mm-hmm. although I always I always have a I have a, an issue with the idea of like people being required to be nice because nice to me feels inherently dishonest, mm-hmm. whereas kind, I think is what I put the value on you know but we have this thing where she's not a nice person is she is she an unkind person though well one of the first things we see from her is she's behind on her rent like one of the well speaking of characters I love Mm -hmm. how few characters there are in this movie it's such Mm -hmm. a small cast um but she's behind on her rent and when the building super confronts her about that he says You've always been kind to my mother. Yep. So like the fact that she had always been kind to that woman mm-hmm. who appeared to be homebound or, or you know, yeah. just, just needing some extra help kind of saved her ass in far, as far mm-hmm. as the rent goes. But yeah. she she is not kind to <laughs> her agent. I mean, she we see her prank calling as Nora Ephraim, yeah. you know, pretending to be Nora Ephraim over and over again. She in real life got a cease and desist letter from Nora Ephraim because she did that so much. And so I'm like, no, that is not kind. You don't violate other people's privacy and fake other identity. people's identities and mm-hmm. steal people's work. Like, hell no, this is not kind. Mm-hmm. But I think there was, okay, I may be reading too much into this, but it seemed to me that in Lee's mind, there were mm-hmm. people who had been dubbed successful or golden, or they were somehow separate. So, like, Tom yeah. Clancy is a different kind of person. Nora Ephraim is a different kind of person. And mm-hmm. so, taking a shot at them was okay. She punches up and she does not punch down. Yes. But mm-hmm. she's not unkind. I mean, Jack is, you know... She, She's not super kind to him all the time. But when he shows up at her apartment beaten up, she tends his wounds. She puts him up for the night. She does take care of him. And she's very kind to her cats. And that goes a long way. Yeah, which I think like kindness is of more value than being nice, you know. 
Um, so I think that she is kind. Um, she's not nice. No, um, she's not nice. I, I mean, she's brittle she and she's, for, yeah. I mean, she pulls that terrible prank on the bookseller who was such an ass to her and makes him think yes. his apartment's on fire with his dog in it. With his dog in like, it. Like, that yeah. is horrible. She's that a, is terrible. <laughs> And yet she's delightful. But see, this is the thing. Like, she is such a great example of a character does not have to be likable. And here's the thing. Writers out there listening, I know that I've said this before, but I cannot say it too much because this happens all the time to authors. You'll you'll give something to somebody to read and they'll be like, well, your character needs to be more likable. That is bullshit. Your character does not need to be likable. Your character needs to be vulnerable. And yes. Lee Israel has vulnerability in spades, you know, yep. and we see how deeply all of this affects her and makes her worried about her life and her stability. Um, she very, very deeply loves that cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is hugely vulnerable. Love is one of the, the great uh, sources of vulnerability. Um, and, uh, and when they have to clean the apartment, when they oh, walk no. into the apartment, and the apartment smells terrible. And you look underneath the bed and it's just cat poop. Yeah. Um, the, the vulnerability of that you know, um, and then, you know, when Jack helps her clean it and says, I don't yeah. mind, yeah. that is such a beautiful expression of kindness and love. And, and I love that mm-hmm. in that relationship um, and her, you know, and she accepts it. She lets him yeah. help her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, really like that. I think that she is she's such a beautiful and again, this this touches more on what we were talking about during the character season than necessarily conflict because the conflict's fairly, you know, it, it's really functional. It works whether the the main conflict is your idea or my idea. It still works both ways. Um, so everything in there functions beautifully. Um but the the character work, I think, is just extraordinary and what they do with her and how Melissa McCarthy plays her in a way that even when she's I mean, this is the thing, even when she's being awful and doing horrible practical jokes, even when she's, you know, mean to Jack, even when she's violating these sacred things, things that are so sacred to you personally you know and yet you still love her and i think it's because of those strengths that she has competence is always incredibly compelling to watch Mm -hmm. um and she has competence in spades um and she's interesting she's fun she's funny and she's incredibly sympathetic with all of that vulnerability just rolling off of her you know yeah she is and and i think I mean, what she does is, is horrible and, and just an affront to everything mm-hmm. that, that I hold dear at the same time. <laughs> and I think this was feeding into my Lee versus the world um, where I got a sense from her that she did not believe she was harming anyone. Mm-hmm. So she's not stealing letters from someone's beloved collection. She is stealing right. from an institution yes. and she is selling into a system that mm-hmm. then marks up those letters and makes a ton of money off of it. And she's pointing mm-hmm. out, hey, that's shitty. So like right. the people who resold her letters made more money than she did, which feels mm-hmm. very, again, Lee versus this this unjust yeah. system to me. Um, but I don't like she didn't she didn't knock over a 7-Eleven. She didn't mug somebody on the street. Yeah. She didn't. 
you know, she didn't steal from Jack. Now, she did steal a coat at the beginning. Um, yes. <laughs> whatever. Every time I make a defense for her, she does something terrible. Lee, why are you yeah. like this? Um, I know. But I do. I very much got the sense that it was, there is this detachment, which goes to your point, right, about mm-hmm. her, her not being open, her not making connections. But this detachment from society that was mm-hmm. that was almost kind of academic where she's like I am I am adding enjoyment of these historical letters and and her research is amazingly like she didn't just make stuff up willy-nilly yeah you know the things that she added to the I mean she oh my she God, bought the, typewriters she did she but, bought but she, the right typewriters she I bought the that. right paper she bought yeah. the you know, but she researched the context of the yeah. PSs that she added and the, the you know, the, the letters that she forged um, where it's it's like, well, OK, so then what what is that if not a form of fiction that is in the wrong box? So like it it is not OK. I am not. You, we do not steal from libraries. We do not fake. We do not attribute do not things incorrectly. Steal people's like, identities. Some yeah. of the letters she wrote for Noel ended up in a book that had to be republished without that content. Like it was cited as a fact. But I know I shouldn't be laughing at that because that's terrible. It's a violation of a sacred trust. Yes, it is and not yet. funny. And yet, um, that it, it feels like almost kind of sticking it to this system that was very much mm-hmm. against her. But one of the things I love about this movie that feels like kind of a mix between character and conflict mm-hmm. is that you have two queer characters with yes. Lee and Jack. Mm-hmm. And that is not what the movie's about. Oh, my God. How I, wonderful I, was that? Right? That, that people can be queer. And yet that's just one of the things they are. Right. It's not like the whole point of the movie. There's not a yeah. single coming out scene in the whole movie. It's kind of oh fucking Oh my God, great. I know. I love it so much. Um, but what I thought was very interesting, and this also contributed to my Lee versus the world idea, mm-hmm. is the letter that got her caught. So like the letter mm-hmm. that sent up the first red flag was one that she had written um, from Noel, uh, Noel Coward, where she talked about his homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And a literary critic said, Noel, Noel never say that publicly. So mm-hmm. it was a, a public statement about queerness that right. ended up catching this queer character. Yeah. So it felt kind of Lee versus society to me in that way, in a very crunchy mm-hmm. way that I'm probably not articulating very well. No, I think thematically... Yeah. I mean, that's got a beautiful, a beautiful resonance. Mm -hmm. And yet what I really liked about this, I think, is that queerness is so incredibly normalized. Yes. Like we're not, it's not a big deal. It's just who they are. Yep. You know, it's just who these characters are. It's just a part of who they are. Um, But I do think it is interesting, you know, that it was getting, you know, the the queer person that she was impersonating wrong. The one who, in that way at least, was closer to who she really was. Yeah. Well, the right? and the, the critic said Coward would never have referenced his homosexuality because it was still a jailable offense mm-hmm. at the yeah. time. Um, mm. And so I was like, okay, well, is this a jail your gay story instead of a kill your gay, your gay story? But she doesn't, mm-hmm. Lee doesn't end up doing any jail time. And yeah. mm-hmm. one of and the other things. Jack. And well, here's what's interesting. So Jack mm-hmm. doesn't in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. But in the book, in the memoir, Lee flat out says, I didn't go to prison because I was white and I was a published author. So like yeah. she owns her privilege in that space. Mm-hmm. Jack, Jack had a, a, a whole other sideline of criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. in one of the, you know, something that had happened that was connected or something that had come up in relation to this, he, they had found him with a gun. So he was mm-hmm. about to face a much stricter, he was going to go to prison. His, oh. his case was up um, and he actually died before that happened. And so oh. she says in the memoir, she was very glad that he died. He died in, in care of, of um, a gay men's association in New York mm-hmm. City who were, you know, very yeah. loving to him at the end of his life. If not, he would have died in a prison hospital. Oh. Um, and so she does say, you know, yeah. that he, he would have done more jail time than, than she did. And she got off with, what was it? Six months home arrest and five years probation. Yeah. In the, in the movie, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah that's that's what life. it was in real life too. The same yeah. in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she flat out credits, you know, her privilege there, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which I thought was so interesting, but I love that we have these queer characters and that is not what the movie's about. I'm like, God, can yeah. we have more of this, please? Yes. Oh, my God. That, just that sense that they're allowed to be queer without that being what the entire thing is about. The, yeah. You know, it's just it's very, very normalized. I love mm-hmm. how normalized it is. You know, yep. it's just it's not that big a deal. It's part of who they are, you know. Yeah. But it's nothing that we need to because it's a very straight perspective, isn't mm-hmm. it? Where when somebody is gay, we have to be like, hey, they're gay, right? Because it's so otherizing. It's so like, let's look at this because it's a gay story, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's the the very relaxed normalization of that in this um, was something that I thought it, it, it's one of those things that until you watch it, I had this experience with black Panther too, with the way that women were treated in black Panther, you know, yeah. is that it isn't until you watch it that all of a sudden you realize, Oh my God, this is how it's supposed to be. Right? It's not supposed to be this other way. You know, that's unnatural, you know? Um, and until you get the example where, you know, women are normalized, where gay people are normalized, um, you don't realize how incredibly fucked our perspective on things like that are because it comes from a very, you know, cishet white male, you know, perspective. Most of the media up until very, very recently has been made from that perspective. Um, and, uh, and so I was just, I, I loved that about this movie. It's really good. Um, oh, I was thinking about your question. This is going to stay with me. Is she kind? Is she kind? Yeah. So one of the we actually get the movie asks this question and doesn't answer it, which I think uh-huh. is fascinating. Yeah. So her, you know, very tentative kind of romantic interest at the bookstore, Anna, who like, oh, can yeah. we just have a minute to talk about how sweet and lovely Anna oh, is my God. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're writing a book. I'll be the first to buy it. I'm like, oh, sweet baby. I mean, she's she so lovely. So sweet. And she's I also so love too that they give her this kind of lovely, you know, backstory where like, you know, this, this store had been her father's and her father really loved it. And she's kind yeah. of feeling like, eh, I don't know, but she wants to be a writer. There's just mm-hmm. something about her that in, in very little like dialogue and actual screen time, they were really able to breathe life into this character, this character, which didn't exist for the real Lee Israel. Yeah. It was, it's a, it's a, um, 
It's a fictionalization completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But so Anna, you know, is working up the nerve to ask Lee to read some of her work. Yeah. And so she puts it, you know, in the envelope and brings it. And they have that terribly awkward date. And I'm just like, Lee, yep. Lee, do better. Come on. She's <laughs> she's lovely. Go do that. Redo that. Do that better. Yeah. Um, and Lee pretty much ignores her, you know, mm-hmm. um, until the end we see. So after she is sentenced, so like mm-hmm. after this is all done, she pulls out that envelope from Anna and Anna has written on it. Dear Lee, please be kind. Yeah. It's like a request before you read someone's writing, which just my heart. Oh, my God. But we don't actually know how Lee yeah. responded to that. So the movie flat out asks, is Please she kind? be kind. But it yeah. doesn't tell us. I mean, you hope no, and, she will. And my notes are, please be kind. The one thing Lee can't be. The yeah. one thing she can't do is what is what this woman is asking of her, you know. Yeah. Um, and that little flirtation was so sweet. And then I felt the betrayal, right, when she gets mm-hmm. the facts that yeah. has Lee's picture on it and discovers that Lee has been you know, swindling her, has been conning her. I mean, that's a horrible betrayal. They didn't get so far as to actually, you know, like, like fulfilling a romantic relationship, but they were on that path, you know. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely flirting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Lee had in mind when she asked her lawyer. She -hmm. was like, so everyone I sold these to, do you think they know? And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, honey, they know. And that is not your biggest problem right now. But I, yeah. and maybe it's just my romantic read, thought she was <laughs> thinking about Anna. Oh, I absolutely thought. I thought that was almost textual. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 Because I think that she didn't want, I think that when it came to Anna, she was ashamed. Yeah. You know, that she, I don't think that she didn't want to betray Anna, but also like here we have the main love story in this. I mean, there's a love story with Jack, which I really, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so sweet, you know, but there's a love story between a woman and a work, right? Yes. Which of course is, is what gets me every time is the love story between a person and their work. And here she is finally writing, finding joy in that writing um, and throwing herself into it with such incredible dedication, you know, dedication to she's researching everything. She's traveling, you know, she's going and getting these letters and then, you know, mm-hmm. putting forgeries in the uh, in the libraries and just everything that she's doing. Like she found something that she's really good at. And I kind of love that question like it's it's one of the things that i love actually about the tv show breaking bad is the yeah. question of what happens when the thing that you're really good at and when you're good at something it feels good to do that thing mm-hmm. if the thing you're really good at is a terrible thing and here we have with lee that the thing she's really good at is a terrible thing and she doesn't care that yeah. is not a point of conflict for her. Mm. I love her speech at the end where she says, I am not sorry. I had a great time, yeah. you know, yeah. but she does like that speech, though. She's still torn up while she's making that speech mm-hmm. because the best time that she had was being other people was still being other people, still hiding behind the personalities of other people. She was really, really good at that, which also speaks, interestingly enough, to an excess of empathy, 
right? You can't write like that in another person's voice without having that empathetic ability to step into their persona and their experience, you know? And so I do you think that Lee is empathetic? No, I think no, no, <laughs> not even a little. Um, I think <laughs> Lee is such an incredible reader, mm-hmm. writer, that it, it is the lack of personal empathy that allowed her to be so good. So at she's this. got cognitive empathy, but yes. not emotional empathy. Absolutely. Yes. Like mm-hmm. to to know how to tune in to how someone would think, what they might yeah. say. You've given me half the script and I'm going to write the second half because I mm-hmm. am brilliant and I know how to tune into this and the pattern of thought and speech. Yeah. Um, I think she is that strong of a writer. Mm-hmm. And um, I do not think that comes from empathy. I think that comes from brilliance, which she has. Yeah, no, she definitely, I, mean, I mean, I think it's a cognitive empathy. I don't yeah. think it's emotional empathy, but it's a cognitive mm-hmm. empathy. And I think that's still empathy. Even sociopaths who have that, it is yeah. empathy. It is the ability to, I, I think, not feel in this case. Like my particular form of empathy is an emotional empathy, which means I feel what other people feel. And that always mm-hmm. sucks, you know, but like the cognitive empathy is the ability to see things from their perspective and to understand the ways in which they think. And I think yeah. that that is also, it is, it is an empathy, I think. Or Unless a there's very, another word for that. Or a, a very deep understanding of her subject, which as a biographer. Yeah. And a researcher. She had. She is. Yeah, a, she has now, I will say, that. while she violated every ethic, <laughs> every ethical standard that a uh-huh. researcher can possibly have, she's a fucking fantastic researcher. Yeah. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the level of detail that she mm-hmm. went through. Um, the, mm-hmm. you know, the way that she pieced these things together, the, the way that she knew working in archive in a library in 1991 was not easy. Lee wasn't yeah. Googling any of this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I mean, one of the letters she forged was from her publisher saying mm-hmm. that she was writing a book about authors yeah. with alcoholism yeah. so she could get into the collections, <laughs> you know, like she's yeah. fucking brilliant. She um, is brilliant. But I don't, I don't see that coming as a place of, oh, I have so much understanding of my fellow humans' emotional state. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think this is a brilliant, talented researcher, writer, whose mm-hmm. passion did not align. I mean, she wanted to write about Fanny Bryce. And her agent yeah. says, nobody wants to read about Fanny Bryce. You know, <laughs> and so when you, when you're that interest that skill that talent it doesn't fit it's not recognized it's not rewarded mm-hmm. it's not valuable yeah. in the to the systems in which you were part then you start operating outside those systems which is what she does mm-hmm. um you know and i and i kind of love so like you know she's been banned by universities libraries museums she's been banned from all kind oh, of stuff god being banned from museums yeah she anything oh. with an archive or yeah. stealable paper lee israel was not allowed to go back <laughs> in it but the um when her memoir came out when the book came out the new york times called it a sordid and pretty damned fabulous book yeah. um which for her was like well hot damn you know, you <laughs> like I did the thing. This is what I wanted to go. do. But in that memoir, she says that those letters are her very best writing. 
Mm-hmm. Even yeah. knowing, even after, like she still, she is not sorry. <laughs> it's it's only recently that I remember being proud of my work. She says right yeah. at the end, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't really my work, was it? Yeah. You know, and I mean, I love those questions. If I'd put in my own work, I'd have opened myself up to criticism. If I had been seen, somebody would have tagged me. Yeah. She didn't want to be seen. It's so good. And I'm too much of a coward to do that. And then she does it's good it. good stuff. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so freaking good. good. I love maybe so the central good. narrative conflict is between a woman and her work where the outside, the external side of that is mm-hmm. she can't get another book deal. And the internal side of that is she doesn't want to be seen. We could both be right. No, I think we are both right. Ultimately, I think we both have good arguments. I think I think it's the exact same moments, too. It's interesting because His Girl Friday is like that. There's an internal mm-hmm. um, a conflict and an external conflict, and they run almost step in step with each other so that every anchor scene, almost every anchor scene, um, plays both of those conflicts at the same time. And oh, I think we're seeing a lot of that in in this as well so i don't know it'll be interesting yeah. maybe i'll revisit it when we get to structure and, and oh yeah map yeah, all yeah, of that yeah. out and see yeah. where those points yeah. are yeah. um yeah this is but not it's... a hill i have to die on it was just so interesting no. um oh, I think, first it. of all i think you have a fabulous argument and until oh, I, I win it i i didn't this time write down every single scene like mm-hmm. when i'm doing a structure and i'm gonna have a worksheet when we get to structure which is next season which is going to be a bear i'm telling you right now structure is the most complicated part of all of narrative theory. So that's going to be a huge huge uh hill to climb um but i have a worksheet where i go through and i write down every single scene and what happens in that scene and then once i'm done and i've watched the whole movie and i've got it in front of me i can figure out what all the points are where did it you know where did we escalate this conflict where do we escalate this conflict and you can tell you know based on what happens in the structure what the central narrative conflict is so this with a casual viewing just looking at conflict really Mm -hmm. focusing on that without going through and writing each scene down um you know my my argument is internal and i stand by that but i think that your person versus society thing i think that there's a real I think you got a real strong argument there. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. Maybe we can come back to it in structure. Maybe we'll do that for a Patreon exclusive. Oh, that would since be I don't so want to do the same movie yeah. for a regular episode. Yeah. But yeah, we both love this. So let's come back and take a look at it when we do yeah. structure. Well, and I, I absolutely could could support your your point too. And what I loved is we also had examples of some of the other conflict that we've been talking yeah. about. We mm-hmm. had excellent mundane conflict. Oh fabulous so good when when jack Mm -hmm. comes into that filthy apartment which is full of cat poop Uh and dead flies and he puts his feet up on the couch (laughs) and she's like Mm -hmm. what do you think this is a halfway house get your feet down i'm like really really you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna make that argument in that mess i love that yeah i loved it and um and i love all of the the there because there are so few characters in this the cast is so small you get a lot of narrative conflict at the scene level where Mm -hmm. lee wins some and loses some so Mm -hmm. you know at the the very beginning she gets fired so she's you know she's lost that one and then you see her at the party at her agent's house and she Mm -hmm. she asks her you know marjorie she's like will you return my call this week Mm -hmm. and marjorie says maybe we'll see (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like so Lee loses that. Mm-hmm. And then she turns around and steals the coat 
she tells the and well she is a walking mundane conflict machine yes. i mean yeah yes mm-hmm. she's so mm-hmm. good she and and that and you know more narrative conflict when she tries to sell the books at the bookstore yep. she loses that one the guy won't give mm-hmm. her any money you know and right. she's carried all those freaking books up and down the yeah you know the street um mm-hmm. so but and then but then you see her I mean, I don't think you should prank call someone and tell them their house is on fire and their dog is in it. But in a narrative scene level, she wins that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you do, you have just these lovely examples kind of all the way through. You've got mundane conflict. You've got scene level narrative conflict. And then you have Mm -hmm. these bigger, you know, internal and external. But no false conflict. None. We have a lot of lies. Because mm-hmm. she she lies and she's perpetrating a fraud, but that's not the source of the conflict. So right. we don't have. I mean, I guess I guess you can say with um, with Anna, she is lying to Anna, um, but that actually isn't a source of conflict between them because Anna doesn't know. Well, and we you know. know. As we the know. Audience, we but know. But that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Us yeah. knowing is one thing, but like when it's not like Anna's mad at her and it's some kind of misunderstanding or something no. like that and yeah mm-hmm. and the, so yeah 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 so we've yeah. got i don't think we have any false conflict in here which is I don't wonderful so. the fucking I don't hate so. false conflict yeah 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 no it's so good there's there's not a slow moment there's not it's so i bad. mean some of it is sad it's really hard to see someone with an apartment full of dead flies it's really yeah. hard Mm-hmm. To see, you know, self-destructive behavior that gets to be that hurtful. It's hard to see mm-hmm. her desperately trying to call Elaine and Elaine not calling her back. It's yeah. hard to see someone, you know, Anna has a real interest in her and Lee just shuts it down. Yeah. Um, but none of it is, I, I don't feel like there is a minute of wasted screen time mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. And I don't say that. I do not do this with movies. I don't yeah. fall in love with movies. I don't rewatch movies. I watched that movie four times and I, I would go watch it again. It is so, <gasps> so good. freaking good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think you, there's a there's so much great stuff to study from the character here. You know, mm-hmm. the character development, the way char- these characters are built um, yes. and the conflict. Um, I love the mundane conflict with Tom Clancy. He, he's oh, my such God. An I love the Tom the, Clancy stuff. The, I don't believe in writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's oh so my good god. and then yeah. lee is furious that he's getting a three million dollar contract um yeah. which kind of motivates her to do some of the stuff she's you know that she's doing like that she i like to think that in. it's his coat that she stole is it yes yeah, it's his coat she <laughs> yep she stole his coat um and then she just barges into marjorie's office you know raising mm-hmm. hell um yeah. which again kind of fed into my idea of lee versus the world because marjorie Mm -hmm. flat out says tom clancy can get a three million dollar contract and you can't right you know tom Tom clancy plays the game right right tom but that's the thing too that's where my argument comes in right because her agent is saying go on the shows go on tv let people see you and she won't do it and she won't do it and i i also really love just she's she's just so contrary she's so Mm -hmm. you just want to smack her and also for some reason cheer for her but i love that her agent her lawyer her judge her federal caseworker all tell her that she has to go to aa and instead Uh she she is purposely visiting a bar that is directly meeting right i'm at an aa meeting on 10th street in the bar and she goes to the bar at those times I like love she's, her. It, why do I love this woman so much? I don't know. But I do. Uh, well, <laughs> because she's smart. 
Yeah. Um, and because she is not letting anybody else tell her how she's supposed to be. And there is something about watching that that can be really liberating for people who are maybe a little bit of people pleasers. I don't know yeah. about you. I'll say <laughs> for me. It's kind of nice. It's kind of a fantasy to sit there and watch somebody be like, yeah, I don't care, you know, mm -hmm. um, and just do what they want to do. So that can be kind of fun. Um, but I think that really what it comes down to is that she's so smart. She's got a lot of really wonderful strengths. She's really very intricately and complexly drawn. Yeah. Um, all that vulnerability, you know, mm -hmm. um, is incredibly appealing. And let's not, you know, I mean, Melissa McCarthy is dripping charisma, oh, you know, God. through the whole yes. thing, even while playing this almost anti-charismatic character, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it is lovely and there is yeah. something about her that is just so incredibly engaging and fun um and yeah I, I i think about this movie whenever i watch it i think about it for days and that's one of the signs of a really really good story yeah. that's just got you churning it for days yeah yeah, yeah. Me too. i mean she's not likable Mm -hmm. she's very she doesn't compelling. have to be no she yeah. is she is just incredibly compelling and mm -hmm. and i think maybe i don't know um, I have joked about smart girl syndrome before, but given the chance to be part of a criminal enterprise <laughs> where no one actually gets hurt and you might yeah. have some fun and make some money, I I could very easily be swayed to that dark side. You could see it happen. You know, yeah. you mm -hmm. know I'm like, oh, that, mm, there's something very yeah. tempting in there. And I, I genuinely do believe that she did not think she was hurting anyone which is is yeah. where the line is for me you know this yeah. was wrong it was intellectually it was, yeah. ethically yeah. ethically you know incredibly mm -hmm. terrible mm -hmm. but it is not malignant um but and it i felt never victimless you, i think to her probably yeah mm -hmm. it was yeah. i think it was victimless mm -hmm. to her um mm -hmm. and you don't i mean you know the prank call with the the dog with the apartment on fire was was terrible but she didn't set the apartment on fire. True. You know, true. but his dog, if his dog wasn't in the apartment, I'd be like, all right, fair enough. Yeah. But yeah. But the, with dog, the dog, I mean, can you imagine running down the street thinking that, that your dog is inside yeah, a fire? That is, that's so cruel. That's, that's cruel. And I mean, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Like that's, that's unkind, you right. know? And, and I think that like she, she is kind except to people who have power. Who have more power than her. Well, he was cruel to her first. Yeah. And we, you know, we are not yeah. supposed to retaliate. When someone is cruel mm -hmm. to us, we are supposed to forgive them and walk the higher path yeah. or whatever in the fucking high when road. When they go low, we go high. be a better person or whatever. Right. And she's <laughs> like, uh, no, fuck that. I'm, like, yeah. the reason she impersonated Nora Ephraim was because her agent wouldn't return her calls. So she mm -hmm. would call and pretend to be Nora Ephraim because it got her on the phone. It's like, yeah. I don't think she did any of those things solely for the enjoyment of doing them. It's just... Mm -hmm. When she was like, well, this person has been cruel to me or this person won't return right. my call. Then she has no problem. It's doing, almost like there's you know, there's a, a moral score sheet. Yeah. You know? And yeah. like if somebody has more power than her or, you know, or she feels like she's not being treated fairly, then she'll do things that are, you know, 
mm-hmm. morally and ethically highly questionable in order to get what she wants. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. It's a wonderful movie. I highly recommend if y'all haven't yes. seen it already. Uh, hopefully you did before you uh, listen to this because we just spoiled <laughs> the hell out of it for you. But it is um, it is really a wonderful movie and it'll definitely keep you thinking. But Dr. Kelly Jones, what's your favorite part? Okay. So my favorite part, I, I mean, I love the whole movie. But mm-hmm. when she first, she has that meeting with Marjorie who basically says, mm-hmm. go write your own story. Yes. And she sits down in front of the typewriter and she types, this is me sitting down to fucking type. (laughs) And then instead of writing sentence number two, she gets the idea to start forging letters and turns to a life of crime. And that is how I feel every time I sit down to write. So I (laughs) loved it so much. That felt so true to me. I kind of want to get a piece of paper with that type written on it. Yeah. This is me sitting down to fucking type. Fucking type. Yeah. It was so great. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? What's your favorite part? Oh, God. A woman in love with her work. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's going to get me every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's so good. It was so good. I'm so glad that your very brilliant child had us watch this movie. My very brilliant child has like amazing taste in movies and I almost like have never heard of or seen most of the ones that she gives me to watch. And uh, this is one of the ones where when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is fab. So, So yeah, I'm really, really glad and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it for this episode. Me too. All right, to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Dinerich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. You can also follow all our shows and news at Chipperish. How Story Works and everything Chipperish Media does is made free to all by our generous patrons. If you're getting value out of this discussion, we ask that you help us out by kicking a dollar or two a month our way so we can hop through a portal to a better time and place when people actually respected the written word. This episode of How Story Works was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why How Story Works is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our February producers, Stephania, Shelley, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our power producers, let's keep drinking. The day is young. And stuff is happening for our Patreon supporters. As you know, Kelly and I recorded our discussion of the Queen's Gambit for all patrons. That is up on Patreon now. $5 and up supporters get access to my new video podcast with Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd. Let's watch Roulette, where we roll a random movie or TV show, watch it, and then react. The most recent one is Penny Dreadful. Those links are up on Patreon for $5 and up. And our $10 and up supporters get to hang out and watch us while we record and chat with us afterward. So if you are not a chipper supporter yet now is definitely the time to start we will be back next time with this how story works season two finale to talk about arrival which is one of my favorite movies of all time and i am so excited until then i can't specifically say that i regret any of my actions i don't